thing we didn't mention, we've been talking about this, but now uh, with, with students coming back, for, for students, we're, we've been thinking and praying about something that, that we can do to begin to uh, blend our congregation, to get people to get to know each other. And so uh, we're going to be offering um, dinners. You, you can, four, three, four, five of you or two, you can go to dinner with a family from this church. And, and if you're interested in that, uh, we will next week. We will have stuff you can you can uh, fill out. We'll have it up on the website that you would be interested in that. Now, see the the, the good thing is you you can get two, three, four of your friends to go with you. So you won't be like in this awkward situation where you just don't know anyone. You'll, you'll have your friends, and so that way afterwards you you can you know, or during it you can have a good time together. Um, I I guarantee. You, We've already, this is part of the deal. The meals have to be incredible, all right? Just so you know. I mean, serious, things like, you know, like real mac and cheese, stuff like that. That, okay, that's a different kind of incredible, right? Yeah, that's incredible to me. So anyways, um, we'll be letting you know, know more. We're very excited about this. We're, we're very excited that we have so many students who come to our church, but we're excited about this idea of people getting to know people who attend this church and, and uh, getting to know one another better. That is, I mean, this is one of those things. God wants this. There's no doubt about it. This is what he wants. He wants his family to grow together. And there is an easy, there's no easier way than to do it over a meal, okay? All right, and they may, who knows, there might be some nice people that take you out to dinner, right? So um, somebody told me Schlesinger's, so that sounds really good. Um, yeah, right, whatever. If you think you're going to Schlesinger's, I want to sell you some real estate. All right, we're, uh, we're uh, in a series. Let me get to that. No, we're not. We're just starting it. We're just starting a series practical relational living from the book of Philemon. Now, the book of Philemon is only one chapter. And so it's, you know, it's just, just one page. And, and we're going to go over this. It's going to take us, uh, you know, I should probably be able to do it in one sermon, but I can't. It's probably going to take about three. But let's start off. We're going to look at verses one through seven. And so I want to read that with you. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now, this little book has some great themes, themes of forgiveness, themes of reconciliation, a theme, this, this running throughout, the theme of fellowship, the interdependence of the body of Christ. I mean, one of the reasons why we want to do this dinner thing is because we're all a part of the body of Christ. We're interdependent. There are no lone rangers in God's plan, right? So, so it has these themes. And the reason for the book, just real briefly, is that Paul is in prison. A slave named Onesimus has run away from a man named Philemon. Philemon and Paul are great friends. They're brothers. They, they love each other. Very dear. Philemon is very dear to Paul. Onesimus, through happenstance, if you believe... Through God's providential guidance, Onesimus 
is brought to Paul through friends or something. He's brought to Paul in prison, and Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord. And Onesimus is totally changed. He begins to serve Paul faithfully, and Paul becomes very attached to Onesimus. He loves him dearly. And then Paul, basically, we, as, as much as we can surmise, has told him, nope, you got to do the right thing. I'm sending you back to Philemon. And this is the point of the letter, because Paul is going to talk to Philemon about how he's supposed to receive this runaway slave named Onesimus. All right? Okay. And then I think there's a couple of things I need to say. This is, it. This is basically the introduction to the book, and so we're going we're gonna to get through a few things that we need to get through. And first thing I want to say is, uh, in Philemon, I see a side of Paul that sometimes maybe we don't think we see. We see a love for the saints, a love for the church, a love for people. He's, he's loving, and he's gracious, and he's incredibly wise in how he handles this difficult situation. Because I think a lot of us, we can get this idea, it's almost a caricature of Paul, like he's a sharp man, he's a difficult man, he's a hard man. He can be very stern, he knows how to speak the truth, you know. I think he speaks the truth in love, but it can be difficult when you're that kind of a person. And that's the caricature we get sometimes of Paul This is this kind of hard-nosed person that we're, we're like, yeah, he was a great man of the faith, but I don't know if I would have liked him, right? And, and in this letter, which is probably his most personal of letters, or at least one of them, you really see his pastoral heart coming out to the people that he's writing to. He's dealing with difficult truths in a very delicate situation, and he shows grace and kindness and love. And I just want you to see that. It, throughout this book, you're going to see Paul. He's going to keep revisiting this idea that how much he loves people in the church and, and, and Philemon and Onesimus, all right? And, and we're going to look at the first seven verses. We just, uh, we just read them. And this, Paul is masterful here in how he builds this book. Uh, he, he's been trained in logic, and he uses it very well. And he starts by laying this foundation but before we get into the foundation that he's laying, I want to say something about slavery, all right? Uh, because this is what this book is dealing with. And, and when we hear about slavery, we can't help but think of it in terms of the stain and the sin that our nation participated in for hundreds of years. Uh, and it was race-based slavery. It's a shameful part of American history. It's a shameful part of the history of the church, Let's be honest about this. And it's still affecting our country even today. But slavery in biblical times was different. It was an evil institution. I don't want to go too far and say it, but it was an evil institution. But it was not race-based. A person, uh, oftentimes in biblical times, a person got so poor they sold themselves into slavery. It was like indentured servitude. They would for, to take care of my debts, I'll work as your slave. I'll live on your property. You just tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you say. For five years, there was almost always a time limit that was involved. The idea of keeping a person as a slave from birth to death was very rare. There was, there was always the possibility of manumission. That is, you could be released. You could pay for your release. Slaves were allowed to own property. Slaves were allowed to make money. Um, oftentimes, when you hear of, 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 of some, even, even some philosophers, great philosophers, they oftentimes were in that situation where they were, they, they were in servitude and, and their skill was their wisdom that was being taught. All right? So people could get into slavery in a number of ways. One way that was, was, was uh, done a lot 
was a person sold themselves. They voluntarily sold themselves into slavery to have a better life or to pay off debts or whatever. It is hard for us to imagine how brutal and difficult life was in those days. It's hard for us to imagine being in this country what it would be like every day to be not sure if you would work, not sure if you would eat, not sure where you could stay, to live life on that razor's edge. And so this idea of selling yourself to someone for five years, for 10 years, whatever it was, and it varied, was, it was attractive because now you had clothing, you had shelter, you had food. Yes, this person could at times abuse you, but you would leave with money. You would leave with something, with the wages, the, the, what you sold yourself for. It would be this idea of, I'll sell, sell myself to you for, for five years, and at the end, you give me this amount of money as I leave. And it was a contract. And so in a brutal world, this was something that people did. It was not a good system. But sometimes it seems... I'm going to get uh, maybe strangely similar to stuff we do nowadays with payday lenders that consciously wrap people into things that they know they won't be able to do and keep them in this financial servitude. All right, I'm going to stop there. Okay. So, other ways, sometimes people were born into slavery. A big thing that happened in those days is children would be abandoned. Unfortunately, especially women, girls, families prized male children. And so sometimes when a female was born, they just walked outside and left the kid at the side of the road to die or for someone to pick up. And people did pick them up. Temples that engaged in prostitution picked those girls up. And people sometimes would raise them as a slave, even though there usually was a set date where they would be released. Sometimes children were sold into slavery by their parents. Sometimes a person was taken in a war you were, on the, you were fighting against and you didn't die in the battle and so they took you. Or There was a whole bunch of different ways. But slaves could make money. Slaves could own property. Slaves often bought themselves out of slavery. Slavery was understood, generally speaking, not to last for a lifetime. Uh, the freeing of slaves was normal and an expected part of the process. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not justifying it. I'm just telling it. We have a lens that we tend to look at, and that lens, that lens is more horrible than what happened back then. So don't superimpose it backwards that way. This is just, and the Bible's reference to slavery is not an endorsement of it as much as it's just dealing with the reality of the situation the way the world was. And Paul, in numerous ways spoke about slavery, often in ways that undermined the foundation of slavery. Telling someone to treat their slave like he's your brother or your sister undermines the foundation of slavery. I am not going to enslave my brother or my sister. I'm not going to do it. And so Paul did it that way. I think Paul, in many ways, was like Jesus. His way of changing the world was to plant a grain of mustard seed, which inconspicuous at first would grow into a spreading thing that would just break up the foundation of what this was built on. 
In the meantime, he tells slaves and their masters to treat each other as human beings whom God has created in the image of God. So I want to talk about that. It's not going to answer all your questions. This is not a full-on history lecture. Um, I really, if you, if you, this is something that troubles you and you'd like to talk about it, I would love to talk to you and not sit down for a cup of coffee and just talk about it. Um, I'd rather do that than try to explain everything here. So that's some of the background that's going on at the time this book was written. And Paul writes this book and he emphasizes fellowship. He emphasizes community. He emphasizes the relationship with one another that we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ with God. All right. Now we, we live in a consumer society. We live in a society that says, I want what meets my needs. This meets my needs. This makes me feel good. I, you know, that type of thing. I want people like me. And I just want to tell you, just consumerism, living that way, consumes community. It kills community. If you have people who are thinking about in that consumeristic way, what's in it for me? What's best for me? I got to think about me. That kills community because community is based on being outward looking, not inward looking. And so for each one of us, God is telling us, I want you to change. I want you to be in fellowship, in community. This is what Paul is going to be talking about. When I, when I came to Christ, it, it, it was a radical change in my life. I, I've told you, some, you know, sometimes I tell you guys things and people just kind of, oh, Bob, you're being so modest. I'm not, no, I was a selfish punk. I, I was. I was a punk. You would not have liked me. I didn't like me that much, so I know you wouldn't have liked me. And, 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 I, was, and I was growing more and more that way, partly because, I, like I said, I was shaking my fist at God, and I was consciously trying to run away from God to the worst things that I could think of. And be involved in those things. And then, and then Jesus got a hold of me. And I, and I can remember vividly one of my older brothers who'd come to Christ a year or two earlier coming home and looking at me and said, Mom and Dad said, you've changed. And I was like, yeah. He was like, man, that's great. And I was like, yeah, it, it is. But it's a change. Why? Because we become, as followers of Jesus Christ, we become brothers and sisters. And sometimes in a crowd like this, it's hard to feel that way. But these are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you may say, well, you know, there's a couple of people here I don't like. Well, we don't like everybody that's in our family sometimes. But we still love them, don't we? We still love them. I mean, I'm aware of the failings of my family, and I can talk about them, but if you talk about them, I'm pissed, right? Because don't you talk bad about my family. But you said it. I know I said it. Okay, just so you know that. So if I tell you anything about my family, don't repeat it. That's all I'm saying. First point. Okay, this, this, this fellowship that we have, this community that we have in Jesus Christ, the first thing it does is changes how we see each other. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, now, listen to the words he uses to describe the names. Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul takes what is a, a standard Roman greeting. In, in a, Roman letters all have a greeting. They all have that. But Paul teaches in his greetings and especially in this one. Because he's saying, look, 
He's laying this groundwork. He's saying, I'm, I'm painting a picture of, of the relationship. He uses relational words, pictures of brothers and sisters. I've been thinking lately about family. I think a lot about family. Uh, my wife and I, we have, we have five kids, and, and we've had them for more than three decades now. And I'm not sure that I'm getting a lot out of it. I mean, from the beginning, the flow of resources has been one way, right? Even the delivery process was hard. Of course, yeah, my wife played a key role in that, but I was heroically coaching the whole way through, and it was exhausting. Right now, I, there's, a bunch, there's, there's a bunch of women here going, yeah, he's one of the ones I don't like. He may be my brother, but man, he's a jerk. Okay. I told you how I, yeah, that's just a little of the old me coming out. And then our children were born and we invested tons of time and energy and emotion. And they just took and took and took housing and clothing and food and education. And now they're all gone. And the flow of resources I have noticed has not turned around. It's, it's not happened that way. You know, I mean, we get a card or a phone call or a present every once in a while, but overall, financially, the return on our investment has been minuscule, just has. Now, I've been married since 1981, and I'm not even sure how that's working out well either, because that's that bigger piece of the pie. I mean, sometimes I empty the dishwasher, I'll do a load of laundry without even being told to do it, just for no reason at all, pure love. She doesn't write me a thank you note. She doesn't call my mom. Guess what your son did? Now, you're a shrewd group of people here. And I'm pretty sure if I was to talk this way on the regular, you would go, this guy is totally missing the point of family. Because family will always frustrate you if you come at it as a consumer. Right? Just what we've been talking about. It will always frustrate you if you come at it that way of trying to get something out of it. Family is something you give yourself to. And it is in that giving that the gift comes. It's in that giving that the joy comes. It's not always joy, but that's where it's going to be. It comes at times when you're not looking for it. If you're simply always looking for it, you won't quite find it because it sneaks up on you first time a little baby smiles at you and it just melts you unexpectedly. That joy, it sneaks up on you. It's not something you pay for. Or when you give a gift to someone that you love and it makes them cry and you know that you've really given them something that means something to them. Or when you're at a party and look across the room at that woman you married and your heart aches with love and you tell her she looks to you now, just like she did 38 years ago when you were married. And you wait for her to say the same thing back to you, and she doesn't. <laughs> because although she loves you deeply, she also loves the truth. And, and it's another thing I love about her. It's in the giving that the blessing comes. This is how family way it works. And Paul is saying here, we're a family. The blessing's going to come as you love and give and serve others, your brothers and your sisters. And this is how it works. 
that's where the joy is. And, and so Paul's using these relational words. He wants to emphasize that to us. He says brother. He says sister. He says friend. He says fellow worker. He says soldier, people that have each other's backs, fellow soldier. He's talking about being a church, a local body of believers. He's talking about us. He's saying you need to see people that way. And these are words of identity. You know, we talked, we sang about that. You're my brother. You're my sister. Because of Jesus Christ, only because of Jesus Christ, we know each other and we're friends. He says, we're friends. We're fellow workers laboring for the same goal, to grow God's kingdom, to glorify God. We're fellow soldiers to go through difficult times and help each other in life and death stuff. And Paul even mentioned his identity. He uses that strange phrase. He says he's a prisoner of Christ. A prisoner of Christ. That's such an interesting thing to say. The Romans. He's a prisoner of the Romans. And Paul's like, no, I'm not. There's someone bigger in charge here. And what is he saying there? He's saying his circumstances are not merely happenstance. There's a purpose. Your circumstances, God says, I can use them. Even the tough one, even sometimes circumstances that can be horrific. God says, I can use them for my glory. We're part of the family of God. We need each other. So, fellowship, this fellowship we have as believers in Jesus Christ, it changes how we see each other. Secondly, it makes us deeply thankful for one another. He said, I always thank my God as I remember in you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And so he says, I'm always thanking God continuously. Why? Because I see your love. I see your faith. I see the demonstration of power in a person's life. And that's because, and I can tell you this firsthand, and I know most of you probably can too, many here. The miracle of salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle. I am not the person I was. God changed me. Now, some of it was a process and is still going on, but some things happened quickly. They were stunning to me. I was living totally for myself. It was just focused on what I could get. And then it changed, and I just started thinking, I, I need to live for others. And I can remember one time going, where did that thought come from? It's like I've never thought that before. And it's because the miracle of salvation is a miracle to change a person's heart is a power we, we do not have. We only have access to through Jesus Christ. And so it's not, a, it's not personal achievement. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's God at work to accomplish his will and good purpose in your life. And Philemon, Paul is saying, is loving people and his faith in Christ. They go hand in hand. See, God made you and I. He made, he made you. He made me in his image. And we're to be like him to others. But what did we do? We turned away. We went our own way. And this caused all our problems. The Bible calls this sin, but this is what it's all about. But God is good, and he's just, and he's a pursuing God. And so he sent his son, and Jesus became like us to get us back. And at the cross, justice and mercy combined to grant this salvation to those who believe. And this gives us new life, new family doesn't eliminate our old family, but it gives us new family. I mean, Jesus told us that. They said, your family's waiting to see you. He said, who's my family? Who's my mother? 
Who's my brother? Who's my sister? He says, those who do the will of God. That's my family. God looks at you as family. That's an incredible thing. And that brings thankfulness. And Paul acknowledges that. I give thanks. It makes me thankful. The other day, I've had a lot of things happen in the past couple of weeks, so it's been like up in roller coaster emotions for me. The other day, I got a phone call from someone I hadn't seen in like more than 15 years, someone I knew fairly well and knew me, knew me well. And so we were re- reminiscing and remembering and remembering difficult times for both of us, uh, uh, different things and, and difficult times. And I was talking to him about how he was doing, and, and he said, he said you're, in, you're at this church, first church, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, how, how is it? How's it going there? How are you liking it? And you, I tell you guys, I'm a, so I started crying. And I said, I love it there. I love this place. I did not this place. I love you. I love it. I love being here. I love the privilege and the responsibility of being a person. God has said, I want you to teach this word because this word's the most important thing in the world. I'm doing something that's the most important thing in the world. And you pay me to do it. Thanks. Thanks. I I like the Baltimore Orioles, which is just a sad place to be. It's like it's like liking the Redskins, and I like them too. Some, uh, yeah. Oh, and and I remember years ago, Brooks Robson when he played for the Baltimore Orioles, and they were saying about you know what he does playing baseball. He goes, I can't believe people will pay me to play a kid's game. I can't believe I get to do this. I love this. I love I love this. I was telling this guy, I said, I said, you know what? The, I, I have the greatest job in the world. I love it. I, I can't get over it. And I'm crying on the phone. He says, oh, I can tell you love it. You know, like, <laughs> stop. And I said, but God, God led me here. And, and if you ever want to hear this, if you just tell me, if you want to hear the story of how God led me here, it's the most outrageous, unbelievable story of, of how God, through, hap, through happenstance and coinkadinks and all kinds of things going on, and somehow God did something that I never dreamed was possible. All right? So I'm thankful for this church. This church brings me great joy. You bring me great joy. That's what Paul's saying. And that's what I'm saying, because it's true. So, this fellowship we have in Christ, it changes how we see each other. It makes us deeply thankful for each other. Number three, it refreshes us. It encourages us in Christ. He says, I pray that your partnership, the word there would be fellowship. It's koinonia, the Greek word for community and fellowship. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. All right, so it refreshes us. 
Uh, we have this partnership, and, and, it, and, and it, this is this idea of fellowship. Now, what is this fellowship? What is fellowship? You know, the scripture describes it a number of ways. Let me just give you a few. We're going to rattle through some things real quick. Just hang with me. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, and the key word there is they devoted themselves. This, this is a persistence. This is that they made this a priority, and they stuck to it. This idea of community, this idea of loving each other of eating together and the Lord's Supper together, of praying together. Then in Romans 1.12, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Here, Paul's talking about this encouragement that comes. It's, it's a group thing. We have to do it together. It's not solo. And that, and that we encourage one another. This one, 1 Thessalonians 2, I love this. Paul says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children... So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. He, Paul uses this very visceral image of love, this, a mother with a newborn baby, and the tenderness and the love and the neediness and, and, and all that's wrapped up in that. And he's saying our sharing became personal. Our sharing became us not just sharing the gospel, which we did, but we shared our lives with each other. We shared meals with each other. We shared our stuff with each other. We shared talking with each other. The, you know, I, I wasn't planning on it, but this is, this is why this meal thing I think is so important because there's going to be this mutual sharing and encouraging and loving. And you're going to find, you know, for students, you're going to find somebody that would love to be involved in your life, would love to just pray for you. I mean, one of the things we're going to ask people to do is just just. When you leave, just leave your names so that the couple, the person, whoever it is that shared a meal with you can pray for you. That's awesome. That's what it's supposed to be. And then, and then in the book of Hebrews, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in, in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And here, this is another word, a little different word for encouragement. This is parakaleo, this, this word of someone who comes alongside. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the difference between sympathy and empathy. And empathy, empathy is this idea that if I see someone who's struggling, I get down in it with them. I get into the nitty gritty of it with them. And I try to be a real help and, and, and make an impact on them in what they're doing. This word is closely associated with this. Parakaleo is this idea of someone who comes alongside to help, to help bear a burden, to share it together and bear it together. And so these are what this idea of fellowship is and what are the results of fellowship. And the results are joy. The results are, are com Paul is comforted in this. He's in prison and he says, this gives me great joy. You've comforted me. You've encouraged me in the midst of my struggles. I'm refreshed. I'm reinvigorated. You know, the thing is, we know a lot about the Bible, but oftentimes our problem is not learning more, but putting into practice what we know. Because we get tired. We get distracted. We lose motivation. We get bored. We get depressed. We need to be encouraged and refreshed. And this is what he's saying here. This is what happens. You know, I didn't mean to, this is another plug. Okay, starting September the 8th, Bill Cumbie's going to have a class starting at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings here. It's going to be on 2 Corinthians, especially dealing with how Paul addresses issues like anxiety and depression for people who are struggling. 
If that's something that you, you go, ooh, you should go. You should go and be a part. And be a part of mutual encouragement and be encouraged and refreshed. Paul is uh, commending Philemon because that's the kind of person he is. That's the kind of person we're called to be. So then the question becomes, what do we do with that? Who are you going to refresh? Maybe somebody here. Maybe somebody you'll bump into. Maybe somebody you haven't met yet. Who are you going to encourage? He says, I want you to be people who think that way. Not obnoxiously, but just think, who can I encourage? Who can I, God, help me see it. If there's someone, help me see them. Fourth one, this fellowship, it changes how we see each other. It makes us deeply thankful for one another. It refreshes us, encourages us in Christ. It makes us more like Christ. Now, here we go. This is something we got to talk about. He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. This is a very difficult verse to translate because it uses a word and phrases in a way that, that you just can't, it's hard to make it make sense in English. At the very end of this verse, it says every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. For the sake of is not in the original. This is the translator struggling to make sense of the last couple words of this verse. And so we're going to talk about this because grammar matters, okay? I know you don't like it all the time, but I'm sorry because it really matters. So for the sake of is the word ice. ice uh, E-I-S is the Greek word. And, and here we go. It's a, it's, it's a preposition in the accusative case. And that's only important because this is, this is it, what it makes it say. It's the idea of moving in a direction towards something. That little word has this idea of moving in a direction towards something, towards something that is going to impact you. It's going to affect you. All right? And so it has this idea that um, this movement is going to bring about change. And the change is going to be done by this thing you've moved closer to. Now, look at, see how that fits with this verse then. He's saying, I pray that your partnership with us in faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share as we become more like Christ. But it gets bulky when you start saying, as we become. And so they just shortened it to try to make it more sense. But this is what that little word means. I'm moving towards Christ, and he is going to change me. I'm going to become more like him. I'm going to become molded into his, into him, the way he is. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying that I want you to have this faith and this knowledge because this faith and knowledge affects your actions and your actions make you more like Christ as they're built on that faith and knowledge. It changes you from the inside out. It doesn't make a ton of sense in, in, the, in the English, but in the Greek, it's very clear. The idea is to become more like Christ. That's what Paul's praying for him. And so, so this fellowship, it changes us. It deepens us. The good things that are in us, it begins to change them more and more to be like Christ. We have a, Bible tells us we have a new heart. We have new meaning. We have a new compass where true north is. We have a new hope. We have a new purpose. These things affect how we live. And as they deepen and grow, we change. And Scripture teaches us these things all throughout Scripture. Fellowship works it out. Fellowship works it out in relationships. 
And so practically speaking, what we have to do is we have to think, how am I going to get into those kind of relationships that are a joy to me, that encourage me, that refresh me, that deepen my faith, that make me more like Christ, that make me want to be more like Christ? How do I do that? And there's lots of ways. I mean, I could list a few, but there'd be so many more. But I mean, something even small, like, something like small groups or finding ways of serving others of stretching yourself. Stre- oh, here we go. Let's hit where it really hurts. Stretching yourself to talk to someone you don't know in church, your own brothers and sisters. You have long lost brothers and sisters in here you haven't met. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, and I'm going to mix it up some, I don't want anybody. They were saying, I kind of sit towards the right side. And I said, oh, this person's on the left side. They said, oh, I don't know anybody on the left side. <laughs> Maybe we need to do that some, you know? I, I went to a church one time where the pastor, for fun, got up and walked to the back of the congregation, said, everybody turn your chairs around. That's the new front. This is the new back. He never did that again. (laughs) People were so upset. It just upset everything. It's like, what? I don't want to sit in the front. Or what? I hate the back. All right, so I'm I'm not going to do that. We're not going to have a change. not going to do any of that. But this is how we do it. This is how we do it. We practice taking the mask off and being real with people. And going to people and say, hey, I know maybe you've gone here for 20 years, but I haven't really introduced myself. And, and get to know someone a little more. Because we're family. Now Paul, these first seven verses, you see what he's done. He's established something with Philemon. Paul is so smart. And he's sneaky sometimes. He's established something with Philemon because now he's going to build on that and tell Philemon, because of that, you need to do this. And I'm not going to order you to do it. I'm going to ask you to do it. But if you go ahead, I would encourage you maybe this week, read the, read the book of Philemon a couple times. You, you, there's some parts you'll laugh. You know, Paul says, I'm asking you to do this, but I don't want to remind you that you owe me your soul. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, but I'm asking you know, I love that. I love that. He's, he's just being human. And so he builds on this foundation, and it's going to be an incredible story of love and forgiveness that, that, it, that is wonderful to be able to, to see and read. And I want to tell you something. We have those stories here. We have in, incredible stories of love and forgiveness in this room of people that God has touched in, in incredible ways. They're among us. And, and I know you might think, well, my story's not so cool. Okay, that's fine. Because every story of salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle. When a heart gets changed, nothing can do that but God. And we get to be a part of it. What an incredible privilege we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. And now, as we, as we look at the scriptures, we look at this, this book, we think of Philemon, this man Philemon, this man Onesimus, and, and Paul, and, and how you worked in such an incredible way to bring Onesimus to you, and then to use him in incredible ways later on in his life. So we thank you for being able to read that, and Lord, help us also to be spurred, to be encouraged, to be refreshed, and to live in a way that reflects you in our society, at work, at school, at home, wherever we are, in Jesus' name.
Amen. We're going to take an offering. And I just want to say if you are a guest here, we're not asking you to give. Please don't feel pressured. That, that's not what we're about. This is what our regular tenders and our members do as a part of their worship.